Hey, welcome everyone to the Reflux Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, and still recording from the Heinz Convention Center back in the cavern. I, I think we have we can only put 283 people in this room, by the way. There's a maximum occupancy on the door. Maybe it's mm-hmm. 284, mm-hmm. so so if you invite too many friends over, Gary, we're going to have trouble. I, I, I tried to thin the list. Thin you know. <laughs> the list? Yeah, I could not invite everyone. Okay. Well, with that, we have Gary Kopervoss. Yes, yes. Kopervoss. Yeah, and... And we are still in day one of, of the How Conference, even though it, it's probably been well past. But we were just talking, yeah. like, like this is one of those things where there, I've already seen a couple of speakers, and I saw Stephen Gates. We just got out of Terry Despachio's, mm-hmm. and, and they've both been very good. And, they're, and I, think, I think one of the things about one of these big conferences is you, you kind of go see things you don't expect, and sometimes... It's maybe because it's not what you wanted to see, but sometimes those are the ones that hit you, and you're like, "That's the ones you take back home with you." And mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's interesting to see how people, when they're faced with three or four options of speakers, sometimes people will go to the to the known, something they may have heard before, or they have some um, knowledge of it and want to hear more of it. But I spoke to a couple of people this morning, and they were saying, you know, it was a toss up between, you know, the session you were doing and another one about whatever topic that was. And I'd heard things about that before, so I, I, I jumped in your workshop because I didn't know what to expect, and I hadn't done that before. And I think sometimes trying to surprise yourself at conferences like this is there's a lot of value in it because you learn something you didn't even think you'd learn. And I think sometimes people get that thing where, you know, you're like, hey, my boss sent me, and so I should learn about my job. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in this creative industry, a lot of things about your job, you learn from things that aren't directly related. And just to build on that, two years ago, has, has seen to this, is that your job is no longer what your job was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know any, anyone. So we're all... Um, you know, people talk about that thing where I'm like lifelong learner. Everyone is a lifelong learner now if they want to keep their life going in, and, and careers going because what you knew then will not sustain you now. So you have to be at places like this. Yeah. Spoiler, I think that's always been the case. I just think that it got sped up a lot. So yeah. I think what – I do think that if, if you would have – if you quit learning, you – you know, you, you're no good at your job anymore. But but I think yeah. all of a sudden you had to learn at a, at a much quicker rate than before. So it became pronounced. Like yeah. before, maybe like, oh, in mm-hmm. 10 years, this is all going to be irrelevant. But now it's like in two years, it's all irrelevant. And, and you'd heard before where people who had certain jobs could, be honest, could kind of just ride it out the way they had always done it. Keep doing it the way you've you've known to do it. And now the job has thrust change on people. You know, because even, you know, whether it's an accounting job, a sales job, manufacturing job, a lot of those jobs have been this, you know, a, a lot of jobs. Even they move a lot slower and change. Yeah, and it, yeah. they don't have to, you know, but now when you, and, and the, the term I hear a lot is disruption. You know, everything you've known has been disrupted. And now people need to figure out uh, where do I fit, you know, and I think that could be an exciting time. It can be a terrifying time. And, and we should mention, you're, you're, you're here, you, you run a comic studio. That's one of the things I, 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 in fact, do. And I was able to, after working in advertising in New York, 
branding and new product development, I'd always drawn. I'm a, a, a visual person, and it's interesting. Uh, we heard earlier today in a, in a session where it's just like, don't force yourself to be pigeonholed. I've always described myself as a creative misfit because I went to college for business, got a business degree, was a writer at an advertising agency, and drew cartoons in a strip that I had syndicated. So I had a really a misfit kind of experience where it's like, well, if you're right, you write words. You know, you let the, let the art person do the art. And I never found that to be natural because I could always be visual and I could always draw and I had a sense of, of, of photography. But, but I still was paid to write at a large ad advertising agency. And now we're at a point, you know, where people now don't have that one vocation you know, and, and I think that's also something that came out of this, you know, the pandemic where people were now like, well, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a top salesman at a pharmaceutical company and now I'm a foodie <laughs> because I've sure. been cooking in my home and I, I, I make a hell of a fajita, you know, and I, I think we're now able to become fuller versions of ourselves. And I've always had to manage that where it's just like if you're if you are a writer and you're being paid to write at an agency there's another person who can do visuals or there's another person that could uh, create television commercials of a producer director and I think now we're fuller versions of ourselves because we've had maybe time and we've had in our homes you're able to pursue anything that you, your heart desires I think a lot of people are more satisfied. I know I am in the sense of being a, a writer, being a cartoonist, and being a, um, a facilitator. You know, I do a lot of workshops, and that has been where I've kind of evolved over the years. So this leads to the question, uh -huh. is there a signature dish, a dish that you learned to cook over the pandemic? I mean, you brought it up, so I'm thinking you might have learned something here. Well, it's, it's, uh, it may be something that I've learned, something that I remembered is that growing up, my mother used to make like a frittata with eggs and potato, and it was a breakfast dish, like a glorified omelet. Okay. And I remember she was, you know, that used to be what, something. What is the difference between a frittata and an omelet? Is it well, it's it has more ingredients to it, and it's more of a, it's sort of a cross between an omelet and like a quiche. And okay. it's made in a pan, and it's baked, and it's it's. I mean, I've had both. That's what I'm trying to ask. What the yeah, I I, I I think uh, um, it's a bit more evolved, you know, to okay. it. And and honestly, you know, when you you grow up and your mom does stuff, she uses names, and it's like, hey, frittata. Oh, and there's also the there's potato in it, you know. And I think and there's so omelet, omelets are kind of omelets, scrambled eggs are scrambled eggs, and I I did not go the foodie route. I I, I started to write more when I should have gone outside. And, and tried, you know, food and, uh, and cooking. But I did have time for breakfasts, you know, and families on weekends also where I would make one of those. And I got pretty, pretty good at that. Uh, a couple other dishes that uh, I, I'm not any better than anyone who's, or like a real foodie. But I, I get more experimental. I think like a lot of people, you try things you hadn't tried during the pandemic. But I, I think we're broader, more well-rounded now we have well-rounded interests that you know being at home that period of time uh, will feed sure so yeah i think a lot of the experimentation was also the i uh, don't really want to go to the grocery store what do we got i, I think let's play the game I, I think it's it's it is a little bit of that you know it's uh, improvisation yes came into the kitchen yes <laughs> so yeah yeah I, I i wish i could say i was more of a foodie but uh i i uh 
I, I wasn't. So I probably didn't totally optimize my pandemic time because I always thought it'll be over a couple months. No, another six months. And if somebody said, hey, look, it's just the way it is. Two years, you're not leaving your home office. I might have been a little more ambitious to maybe learn some other languages or, you know, something along uh, the, the digital. I, I would be much more um, skilled at the digital arts, perhaps. But I always thought temporary. I mean, you're also you're. I mean, you're also in a pandemic state of mind. It's not. It's not a normal time, right? You're, yeah, you're. Because it's it's just, there's true. a lot of unknowns. So you're like, even if you said, oh, this will be two years, and you're like, well, what's going to be like in two years? What skills should I have? And then they, even then, they'd say like, well, I don't know. I, it's true. It's probably true of many, but I do think it was a time for creativity, you know. And I think you saw so many shows come up. Like John Krasinski from The Office came up with, you know. Uh, some uh, the Good News Network. Oh, I saw a couple of those. Yeah, he, those he wound up selling it to uh, I don't know Nickelodeon or something. Uh, and then if you remember, also um, Saturday Night Live said we're in like the entertainment business. How will we put on shows? And they were very creative and started to shoot um, episodes or um, live shows in people's homes. So technology, we, they were able to, much like um, you know, even podcasts where technology comes into the home, they shot, they were able to shoot live episodes of Saturday Night Live. So, if, you know, even if it wasn't necessarily called, you know, creative act, it's, it's more of just necessity, being the mother of invention. You know, that, that ran rampant during the pandemic. It was a lot of necessity. So, there was a lot of inventive spirit going on, whether it was, you know, Saturday Night Live trying to maintain their programming because that's what they do, or people who had the, the time and interest and imagination to get good at something else. And I, and I think that's human nature, and that's why people, you know, come to events like these. Who knows what it's going to be like in another two years? I think we all learned a lesson, and I think we all, uh, you know, are probably a little bit better at uncertainty, you know, because now I think, you know, with, with, with the way things, with, with, uh, with COVID and how things were, were being reimagined, you know, companies that made bourbon were, were suddenly making hand sanitizer, like that's a party, you know. Yeah, and that's all on clearance now. Now they're like, eh, got, we made too much now. But, but we didn't know when to stop, so, you know. Yeah, um, and that's the uncertainty part. Yes, but, but, it, yes. but it was a tribute to sort of the inventive spirit. Turns out people don't like to be clean. Let's, well, let's not, yeah. let's not, they don't want that anymore. I, I, yeah, I think so. I, I think, or at least it's so much work with the hands and the slipperiness, I don't know. But um, it, it certainly has been, yeah, I, I think a, a moment of truth for people, for companies, for brands, you know, and uh, some are better for it, you know, because I think they were able to move and grow and evolve, and now they're in some way stronger than they were before it, and others... Um, I think it also changes that mindset that mm. even if you don't evolve, you're like you're like we could change. Like we we can actually fo move our focus a little bit and keep our regular business where it was. It's mm. it's not going to hurt it. I think they realize that. Like if we also make hand sanitizer, people will still buy our vodka. Mm -hmm. Like and then all of a sudden, so you're, you're like I guess we could try something else. Like it doesn't. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be pigeonholed into just this one thing. Yeah, and, and I think also there was a there was a moment too with. Uh, COVID where there was a forced evolution. I mean, we had no choice. I mean, people had to evolve. 
And I think at some point it went from a forced evolution into a, a focused evolution. And you started to see, you know, companies, and I, I come from the, the branding world, so I, I think in terms of companies, that companies were like, you know what, we're not going to f- be forced to evolve anymore. We're going to focus our evolution and do it because it matters to us. And I think in some ways a lot of those companies were able to, you know, thrive, you know. And I think, sadly, some companies went away and... and uh, I think that the lesson is is not everyone is, is prepared and, and can figure out the next step in, in the face of something like so deep-rooted change, and you know, that's what it was. We're going to be right back with Gary Kopervoss. Gary, what are you speaking about here at Howard, or what did you speak about? What, what's the takeaway you want people to, to think? I spoke about the name of my, uh, my, uh, my workshop was Doodle or Die which was how do you use sketching and scribbling to get the ideas from the back of your brain to the front of the room. Uh, the idea being is... That even sounds fancy. I like that. Well, the truth of it is, is that we've always heard forever, is that we all can come, anyone can come up with an idea. And, you know, I think it's a positive thing and true for the most part. And, and it's, I don't know, we know how you know, good ideas will be. But yeah. there was that belief that said ideas can come from anywhere and anyone can have ideas. I, I contend that while everyone can have ideas, many people have difficulty getting other people to see what they see. And the idea is an idea is, is unlikely to happen unless I can get you excited about it. And the truth of it is how some of our best ideas linger in the back of our brains and never see the light of day. So today's workshop was about how using sketching and doodling and simple marks and simple stick men and, and arrows and, and, and squares and triangles to get the basic idea out of your head and onto a piece of paper or onto a whiteboard or onto a, a screen is the only way that you'll get other people excited about it. And as, as I say, uh, the, the, the single greatest uh, set of words for anyone who, who creates ideas for a living is to have someone else who, who hears your idea say, I see what you mean. I see what you mean is the key phrase that makes new ideas possible. So when Dyson came up with the, the, the cyclone um, vacuum, and it, it, to say that in simple words, it's going to be hard for people to go, yeah, I, I hear you. I see what you mean. But when you see the sketches and some of the designs, and it, they weren't works of art. They were just simple ideas, simple yeah, I think, shapes. I think when we talk about sketches, is people think that sketches have to be good, and they don't. Yes. Well, the truth of it is, is that sketches and scribbles like that, it's not art. It's meant to be ideas. It's, right. it's not an artistic process. It's a thinking process. And until I could get my idea down in simple lines and, and, and uh, shapes and, and stick figures, um, you're guessing what I'm talking about. And, and that's the reason when people go, people get, I do, I had early on in my career get very frustrated where I could be showing an idea to someone early on and have them, you know, furrowed brow going, I, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm not really seeing that you get very frustrated because it's like how can you not see it when it's so vivid and clear in my brain and I think it, it's important to have tools and today was about a shared maybe three or four exercises of, of how whether it's designers or writers or anyone with an idea 
uh, how to involve other people in the process by using sketches and doodles to have them first understand and get excited about the idea and, and make it their own because you have to have a support system in order to sell ideas. I mean, big provocative ideas don't sell themselves. And I think authors and creators of, of these ideas need to have the ability to, that's why you see whiteboards. Whiteboards are now so, uh, even there's digital uh, whiteboards, but people love gathering around whiteboards and having, they call them whiteboard sessions. It's like, I want to talk to you about this new website we're building. And when you look at it, it's nothing but boxes and circles and arrows. So, right. But yeah, people can walk away going, I see what you mean. I get it. I've even done that in, in meetings where yeah. the client's like, they're talking about their website and, and, they're, and they're trying to, and I was like, oh, this is, and I was like, I think I know what we're talking about. And you just pull out and you just kind of draw some, there'd be a box here, you'd have a headline mm -hmm. and body copy. Yes. And all of a sudden, even though that's all it is, is it's like just squares, they will be like, oh, you understand what I'm seeing. Yes. Or I see what you're explaining. And in this collaborative spirit, someone might look at that and go, you know, hey, Donovan, I, I see the circle. I think it should be a square. If we make it a square, it'll be a better idea for, think, for these reasons. I'm just saying my drawings are so bad, you probably can't tell if it's a circle or a square. Oh, it might be both at once. Well, well then we might we might need some, some practice sessions yeah. on shapes and, <laughs> okay, and things. Okay. Yeah. I, my, my point is is that it's it's so low resolution. No one's afraid when, when it looks like just like a, a bunch of lines and arrows. And people are more likely to collaborate. And, and I joke about that, but it could be as simple as that, where someone goes, you see how you have that arrow going here to that circle? I think the idea would be better if we move the arrow here and made it a triangle for these reasons. And people will, you know, more often than not go, I see where you're coming from. Uh, you know, I, I think so. It's more important than ever right now to have people working together in this kind of fashion. And if they can all use well, the doodling and, and, and sketching, whether you're a CEO or a CMO or a, or a CCO, if you're the chief creative officer, you all have a unified language to use simple sketching and, and doodling to, to build ideas. And I, I talked earlier today in the session that there are some really powerful forces in the world right now, which is uh, complexity. The world is so complex, even outside of you know events. Just in pure business, it's so complex right now with digital disruption, and there's so many channels, and there's so many options in digital marketing. It's so complex. If you could, if you can distill that down in simple lines and squares and containers and and stars and build an idea, you take that complexity out of it, and from complexity comes that clarity. And a team that has some alignment and has that kind of clarity can expect to be successful a lot more than, you know, from what I hear in, in a lot of the, the work that I do is companies are completely frustrated because the complexity, they're choking in the complexity. So I and my team will often come in and go, okay, let's, let's breathe. And we, we call it being able to boil down the brilliance. Every, every company feels like, we do so many great things. Our technology is amazing. We Our, should show them all at once. We should show them all at once. <laughs> right. And, and we just say, let's just boil down the brilliance into the basics. 
and it might it, it, it often is a whiteboard with a couple you know a couple stick figures, some names, a few circles, and sometimes it extends it. And I don't want to oversimplify it, or it's not dumbing down; it's simplifying. You might have an entire wall of a of a conference room filled with the, with with the flow of those doodles, but anyone could walk up on the left side of that and walk all the way to the right and go. There's a lot here, but I get it. You know, I get it. You know, and that requires words and pictures. So your original question of what today was, it was to use words and pictures in the form of doodles and sketching in a way to do, be do business better, make better decisions, and have greater alignment and clarity versus confusion and, and frustration. You know, and I think we live in times now where, where complexity is, is running, running rampant and also creativity. Innovation is incredibly important right now. Companies need new products. They, company need, they need new experiences, new customer experiences. Uh, they, they need new ideas. And new ideas will come from across the, com across the company, across the organization. But imagine having all those people having some comfort level with being able to use visual language and visual expression to get ideas across that desired creativity within a company is more likely to happen when people have that shared language and people, again, are, are working in a way that promotes clarity and not, not confusion. So complexity and, and creativity, but also collaboration. It, these distributed, distributed work, I mean, people are not going to go back to five days a week in an office. We're going to need to get used to having these remote arrangements and the, the uh, requirement is, is can we be productive and collaborative in this remote? And, and I, I know that we even heard in a couple of the, this from the speakers um, today is some are, are adamant about got to do it live, face-to-face. -face. The truth of it is we're going to need to make distributed workforces work. And I think using, um, sketching, and, and doodling in a universal way within a company will allow Zoom meetings to be more productive and will allow online whiteboarding and brainstorming to be more productive because we're all using the same tools and you get to show your sketch on screen, I get to show my sketch on screen, and we can compare notes and get aligned. Because the truth of it is in business and ideas and building new things, sometimes words fail us. It doesn't require more talk. And you, 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 you hear people talking about if Zoom fatigue. It's just more people talking, more people talking. And I've been in sessions on Zoom calls where we show what we drew on Zoom calls. And people, it, it's very human. And I see people relax and their shoulders go down because it's almost even funny to see some of these you know, senior people, you know, C CFOs, C COOs showing their sketch. It's very unifying because everyone's just like, we're all on the same footing. We don't, we don't draw great, but the ideas are good. You know, and right. I think- And even if they do draw great, they're drawing it so quickly that they're yes. not great. Yeah. And that is true. And, and even I've been a syndicated cartoonist for 20 years and for what it's worth is I, I, I draw okay. So if I want to draw something that's kind of cool, I can. But when you say, let's just keep it quick, let's just, let's just keep it um, really simple, 
I can just I can draw stick figures with the best of them. I, I don't I don't have to draw comic characters that I do. And I think you're right when you bring a time element into it. People know to not spend so much time about getting someone's hair right on your stick figure. Just draw a stick figure. It's okay if he's <laughs> right. no hair. Get to the idea. So it's all yeah. about ideas and not getting caught up in the art of it. Okay. We'll be right back. Gary, I mean, we got to talk here. You, you've been where, well. First off, where do you where do you send people to find out more about you? Well, or, or I, where do they follow you? Like, well, I think follow me uh, because so much of what I do relates to businesses, and it's um, it's in that realm. I'm really active on LinkedIn, okay. so people can easily find me on on LinkedIn, and I I post regularly, and you know that's the that's that's the crowd I talk to most of the time, and. Uh, slowly more and more on on uh, Instagram, but mostly LinkedIn. Okay, and so we're going to talk. You've been you said syndicated cartoonist for. How do you get into? I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, people. I'm I'm sure when people talk, they're like, "That sounds interesting." Like, I mean, I don't know a lot of people that have been a syndicated cartoonist for a year, let alone twenty. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. It's, it's not question, a, It's it's a small, it's a small group. I'm assuming like. And with the the uh, the death knell of newspapers, it's gotten smaller. Oh, geez. So so syndicated cartoonists per se now uh, has followed the the way of papers, which they're just less newspapers. So the traditional well, and even the papers that are left have. I mean, the last time I picked up the Omaha World Herald, it's like twenty four pages, and I I swear it's like eleven by seventeen. I'm like, this isn't the size of a newspaper. Yes, and and uh, some of the the, the uh, features have gotten so small, it's really hard to read. And many of the, the cartoonists that uh, do it have to have to write less, and the stories are less verbal. But that's it's funny you talk about that too. Is is, is much, many of the comics now are, are much more visual because you just can't say as much in the small space. But let's just let's just not look at the the, the present day um, for uh, twenty. Years ago, you know, when I was, you know, uh, around college, you know, I, I just said I always wanted to be a cartoonist, you know, and I drew when I was seven years old, like most who, who like that stuff, uh, drawing Marvel comics and, and watching, you know, Bugs Bunny and, and uh, understanding those characters. So, so who's your superhero? My super, well, I, I, I went through them. Okay. I mean, when I was around seven, you know, I went for, I went for the big franchises, you know, Batman, Spider-Man. Uh, even Captain America a little bit, but I have to say uh, it was, I, and I can't explain it really. And you may or may not know this character. Are you familiar with Zorro? Oh yeah, I even, I mean, they, there was a movie with Antonio Banderas, yes, yes. like twenty years ago or something. Yeah, but certainly not the Incredible Hulk um, stature. No, but no, around, it, but but I mean, it, it was uh, probably. 80 years ago, it might have been an A list, but now, it, now it's probably a C list. But I was taken by the swashbuckling Zorro, where he had uh, the swordsmanship of putting Z's everywhere, you know. And and I don't know where I caught on to that, but it was uh, it was one that for maybe about a year or two, I was I was just digging the Zorro. And there was a particular summer where I, maybe I was eight or nine, where I. I uh, I didn't have a sword that I was going to be running around doing this, but I actually took a Sharpie and put Z's under the living room furniture 
Ooh, of my house. Oh, yeah. And I thought, how dashing would that be? So I, I put Z's there, and, and I remember my mother basically going, can you come in here a minute? And I was like, what? <laughs> what happened? She goes, did you put all those Z's under my living room furniture? You know, and it's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Mom. It's just, you know. <laughs> she goes, because in my mind, I was like, I didn't do anything. Zorro did. Zorro did it. Yeah. You know, so so I was, uh, for some reason, I was, I was in the Zorro, and, and defaced a bunch of uh, furniture. So um, fun while it lasted. But yeah, I was, I was uh, into the stories and who, who knew it would grow into what it did. But I also wound up tracing a lot of the cartoons and a lot of the characters. So I, I learned how to draw anatomy by drawing the Hulk a million times or Captain America, you know, because you know with, with comic book artists, it's just this, this hyper real sense of, of body and shape and muscles. And it's like, what's that muscle or behind the calf? I didn't even know that human being had a muscle. But it, it, it allowed me to learn how to draw people. So, so that, was, that was fun. But most, like, like most kids, I, I, uh, I enjoyed most of the, the Marvel characters. And as I said, I had a brief stint with Zorro. And then, you know, from, from a cartooning standpoint, I fell in love with Mad Magazine. You know, Mad Magazine was was the, the first time I started to see great drawings like uh, Al Jaffe, you know, but also the level of writing, and that's that's kind of where I went. Which was, you know, the writing and the drawing when you put them together, it's kind of an awesome combination. Right. Combination, so uh, great and, and and sort of scathing satire. You know, I was uh, you know I got a taste for that early on. Going, this is funny because it's making fun. Of establishment and and that kind of thing, so I got a sense of writing, as well as you know tremendous. But there's also a love with with them. There was always a love of the source material. Always felt like like mm-hmm. they were making fun of it, but they were making fun of it as fans. Yeah, which, and, and and a little bit of the cultural. Like yeah. I, I still remember being whatever grade it was, sixth or seventh grade, and people, uh, the homework assignment was draw something, you know, bring it in. And it's a show and tell. And everyone's like, there's a house, there's a tree, this is a cloud. I came in with the um, Mad Magazine, my own version of the Mad Magazine satire of The Godfather. And the teacher was like, what is this? Oh, that <laughs> what looks grade like was this? Seventh or eighth grade. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Every, and, well, you know, and everyone's coming in with very simplistic, here's my mom, here's my yeah, dad, here's yeah. the dog. And I came in and it's like, this is Sonny Corleone, you know, and he's, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's punching Michael and my mother, you know. I don't know if the teacher went as far as to say, you know, Mrs. Copervaz, I'm not sure what's going on over there, but uh, I don't know what he's bringing in here with his drawings. But I just, to your point, you know, and it was always like uh, whatever the movie of the, of the times where they would put just a, a fun spin on it. And, you know, it was like the clod father, you know, it was just always with a bit of um, satire. You know, yes. and that's kind of fun for a, a teenager to to be learning satire from the writers of of Mad Magazine and like Don Martin, some of these some of the artistic styles and Sergio Aragonese who who draw like these this complicated scenes in the margins of the page on on Mad Magazine, um, and and many of them I got to meet now because oh, wow. I'm part of the National uh, National Cartoonist Society and we go to functions and you know there it goes. You know, everyone's a little older, as we all are, but, uh, you know, um, some of the, the, the legends of, of uh, Mad Magazine 
kind of at the same cocktail party. So it was kind of fun to see uh, a little kid realizing his heroes. So, so that, and then to take all of that and to put it into the business setting, because I've been, you know, in, in advertising and marketing and, and branding, um, it's an interesting um, sort of confluence of, of writing, artistic, and business. And that's, that's why it was, there was always sort of a creative misfit for me, because it's just like not everybody has done that, but I've been able to grow that, you know, in the work that I do in, uh, in, in marketing. So that, that's been really fun, you know, and it's happy to see that uh, visual and, and visual expression in business is, is pretty hot right now. Yeah, everyone wants to, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to stand out. Mm-hmm. And then I guess with the Mad Magazine, with all the drawings and margins, it also teaches you, like, they knew how to break rules but still be fun about it. And tell stories. Some of them crazy, you know, but but I also learned that from Mad Magazine is whether it was a four-panel cartoon or a, a six-page feature in, in the Mad Magazine cover and, and main story, it was they always lead you through the story, you know, and, and, and it was about building, I didn't know it at the time because it's kind of a, a high, highfalutin word, but, but how to build narratives. You know how, how to get, how to pull people in and how to keep them how to surprise how to have a you know a, a big climax and make people laugh you know and um, that's you know that that those lessons kind of served me well as a, a brand marketing person who knew yeah <laughs> I mean I think that's what I love about the whole just the whole design profession is that the Everyone seems to come from different paths, mm-hmm. but they and they bring something unique to it, and it and it's what makes it, it keeps growing because of it. And just to pull it back to today, I, I like to do workshops where, yeah, I, I do my fair share of like the talking part, but but plenty of opportunity for breakout, you know, and let give people a little time to work together and see it, see see what ideas bubble up. And in, in the session, which was, you know, just over an hour long, which was in a, a ton of time, it was really fun to see smiles and laughing. And I had a couple <clears throat> people come up to a microphone I had set up to read to the room the idea that you and your teammate just came up with. You know, so, and people were very excited. They would run up to the microphone and, and explain whatever the prompt that I gave them their solution was and these are people that may or may not even known each other you know many do come in as sort of colleagues and things but a lot of people I could just tell they they just met in that room if you can get people to start sketching I found like when I teach and and, and you know I know I know there's a difficulty because people just they don't want they have to get over that thing that I'm going to be showing stick figures to other people and they're going to mm-hmm. laugh but you're mm-hmm. like but once once they get over that most people the ideas and the fun both come out. Mm-hmm. And great ideas come out of it because I think once people are all contributing, and, and I get that question all the time. Even last week I was talking to someone about the prospect of doing a workshop in the, in the office, and they're like, you, you asking me to participate? And it's like, yeah, you should be in this thing. And it's like, yeah, but I don't draw. And this is the boss. So the boss didn't want to seem inferior because he couldn't draw. Yeah. Right, and, and right. then I explained that it's not what you think, and it's 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 we're all going to be working with stick figures and squares and triangles and stars and arrows, and 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 I think he got comfortable with it, and once you get people into a session like that, within a half an hour, 
they're whipping around and, and uh, um, adding arrows. And, and, and all of a sudden, that's when really great things happen because you're getting the contribution of everyone versus traditional meetings. You know, whoever has the most to say or the highest place on the pecking order does all the talking and others kind yeah. of sit there and then they and then well they, i think i think i mean i'm just thinking of the zoom meetings i've gone to where it's it's almost informational and it's just one person talking and then everyone's on mute yeah. and you're like oh yeah and and putting on the face going yeah. head to head not going mm, good point frank yeah. you know when when you transform those kind of meetings now into like look we're going to take five minutes Everyone is going to do a quick schematic or a quick diagram on where this thing should go or any any ideas you're bringing to the table. Uh, take five minutes and just sketch them out. And it's, it's, it's about as rudimentary as you get. People put those sketches up in front of the camera talking through it because it doesn't need to be super high tech. You're on, if you're on a Zoom call, I, I don't need to get even more technologically kind of in the in the weeds it's just like you drew the picture put it up to the camera talk to people about it and at the end of the meeting everyone will um send their images and put them into one place so they can use them as a repository so people can go you know those are some really good ideas let me go look at them and someone will be responsible for sharing all those all those sketches and the good news is, is the next time you think about that problem or that project, you've got all those sketches to build from, and the thinking gets better, the ideas get better, the the ideas get more collaborative, and people feel. And this it's a word that's overused these days, but people feel engaged. And if and if I'm able to kick a picture in and draw this or put a little arrow and and write this word, I feel to be a partner in this idea versus just watching three people do everything. So, I, and I think moving forward, the greater engagement, I think the higher production of, of teams and probably happy culture, a happier culture. All right. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, look forward to seeing what this rest of this conference is. And as I said, you got, you got lucky. You got, you got like the first in and then you can actually enjoy yeah. the actual event. I, I, I absolutely can. And, and uh, Donovan, I want to thank you for the invitation and uh, enjoyed chatting with you. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.